Welcome to Rocker Radio. I'm Jason Bryan, and you're listening to Well Connected. Many MNOs around the world will know of the Bridge Alliance, covering 34 countries and 800 million mobile subscribers. Bridge has made great advances in the IoT space and is well known for its roaming retail initiatives. Recently, we had the chance to speak with the Director of Roaming at the Bridge Alliance, Arthur Panos, about his career in Vodafone Group, regulations in Australia and beyond, retail trends in Asia, and the great work of the Bridge Alliance as a hub towards mobile operators across Asia and Africa. The changes in technology, the onset of internet-based services and the explosion of data that's really causing operators to think differently about how to give people the best possible experience. Well, it's with great pleasure that I'm here with Arthur Panos, Director of Roaming at Bridge Alliance. This is a fairly recent new role for you, isn't it, Arthur? It is, Jason. Thank you. It's nice to be with you um, and talk to you again after quite some time. Um, Yeah, I've been here uh, in Singapore with Bridge for almost a year now. Ah, okay. Well, it's not recent then. You've had a big chance to get stuck in. Uh, Yeah, definitely have gotten stuck in. And uh, about six months ago, my family joined me as well. So we're almost locals now. Right. Excellent. That must be a big change from Australia. Big change from Australia, culturally and also weather-wise, compared to Sydney. Uh, Also a big change from Luxembourg, where you and I worked together for a while. I remember how cold it was there and what a big adjustment it was was for me. And similarly here, it's the opposite end of the spectrum with 30-degree days uh, every day. Two types of weather, as they describe it here to me, inside and outside. I've been to Singapore. In fact, I've been to, I believe, the offices of Bridge there. And you're right. I mean, you walk out and it's like, wow, okay. You need to dress differently for different moments of the day, I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah, you rightly pointed out we knew each other, of course, in Vodafone Group. And it's great to catch up with you and find out what you're doing over there in Bridge. But before getting to Vodafone, let's dig into the history a little bit more because we want to understand, you know, how is it that you got into telecoms at the beginning? Bit of ancient history. So back in uh, mid-90s, I think it was, Australia was deregulating its telecoms market. Optus, which is now owned by Singtel, which the Bridge Alliance is associated with, Optus was starting out, it was the Challenger brand, and they were taking a bunch of people in their various call centres. They were mainly graduates, and I ended up in Optus's financial services call centre, as they called it at the time, which was basically calling people and asking them to pay their bills, which was a tough job for me because I enjoy a chat, and um, I ended up spending a long time on the phone with some people who had really interesting backgrounds like World War II fighter pilots and people like that. Wow. And uh, I wasn't very good at asking them to pay their hard-earned <laughs> dollars when I felt that they were having a tough time in life. So <laughs> That is a tough role. Yeah, yeah, it was tough. It was tough. And I was probably the worst on the floor at it, I think. <laughs> After about eight months, my boss called me over, a lady called Karen Carmichael. Um, she called me over and said, 
you're really bad at this job. And I said, yeah. And I was expecting her to fire me. And she said, I think we're going to promote you out of here. So <laughs> she took me out, out of there and put me into um, forecasting and planning. And eventually I moved into product marketing from there down the track. So my first big break was because I was so bad at the job. Not advice that I would readily give to anybody freshly starting a new career, but that's how it worked for me. I want to go a step back to your career and basically your studies and how you ended up getting into telecoms because it wasn't necessarily a path that everybody takes because telecom is something that has emerged in our lifetime, certainly. What was the moment when you realized that that was something you'd like to do? Well, I think telecoms at the time was the next big, big thing with deregulation and changes in the industry. I remember being one of the first people actually from Optus to go abroad and roam. I was testing some roaming, even though I wasn't associated from a product perspective with roaming. I was working on the domestic side on their mobile plans and tariffs and forecasts. It was just new and exciting. And there was a very charismatic leader at the time, a CEO at Optus, a guy called Bob Mansfield who was a very inspirational guy. He got us all in, went through this very interesting interview process. And as I was going through it, I was more and more enraptured by what I was seeing. And when I got the job, Bob got us all in and took us through a two-month training program where we got to read interesting books like one called A Whack on the Side of the Head, which was about a guy who changed an airline that he was CEO of from being overcapitalized and very unprofitable to very sharp, on time, very, very focused on customer experience and everybody had the customer at the heart of everything they did. And that was an ethos that Bob tried to imbue in us all the new people, which was everybody at the time um, at Optus. So there was a lot of things going on at the time that were very interesting for me and for a lot of people who were entering telco at the time. Yeah, no, when you think about telecoms at that time, it was so fresh, so exciting, so amazing to, to have this device and to take it to another country. I mean, that's certainly what drove me to work in roaming. You know, this communication, it seems so James Bond, to think of a no better terminology, but it seemed like something that would be very cool to have. Absolutely. And I remember traveling through Europe around the mid-90s, mid to late 90s. I had an old Nokia with me, and I remember being stopped by people who wanted to look at my phone. I remember being pickpocketed losing everything, my wallet, my passport, everything. But the one thing that remained in my hand was my mobile phone. So I was able to use it to recover everything. So it saved my life in a way. So I was stuck for life from that moment, I think. It's strange you mentioned that because these days, I guess, if we lost our mobile phone, we are literally losing all of those other things as well because with mobile wallets, everything contained in this one tool. So, yeah, that's interesting. Absolutely right. I've got everything on my phone now from credit cards to everything, everything you can imagine. imagine losing it, actually. Yeah. Well, so what did you take, let's say, from your experience in Optus? You worked there for six years, wasn't it? That's right. It was six years. A couple of things I took from Optus, I think. First and foremost was customer. It sounds a bit 
cliche these days, but it was very revolutionary then, particularly in an industry that was mainly dominated by government-owned players that had been there for a very long time, who had a long history of being a telco, but also a post office type of service. So it went from that to really putting the needs and the desires of customers at the heart of everything you were doing. So that stayed with me throughout my life. A couple of other things. One is no matter what it is that you're doing, be it in a call center, being the CEO of a company, always do your best. People will never forget it. And the last thing I probably got from there or one of the most significant things I got from there was that the simpler solution is always the best solution and not to overdo things with triple copper bottom yeah. uh, solutions when you don't need to. Yeah. So using the airline example, you don't really need to have the latest and greatest fleet if you can give your customers the confidence that they will be on a clean aircraft that will arrive on time every time. Yeah. You know, something about doing things which are showy, let's say, is, you know, in some cases not necessarily important to the customer. But yeah, those are really good points, Arthur. Thank you for those. And then, of course, you moved from Optus to Vodafone. And how did that happen? Yes. You jumped ship to the competitor, as sometimes happens in this industry a lot. <laughs> That's right. It was a big moment to shift. Uh, I was I was quite happy at Optus, but I wanted to move um, out of the more planning, forecasting type of role into more of a marketing type of role. And I uh, moved into pricing at Vodafone, which was in the marketing team and eventually moved across to product marketing. It kind of felt like a natural progression in terms of where I wanted to go with my career. I really wanted to be at the leading edge of the company in the cut and thrust of the market, really being driven by results, market share, growth, and of course, ultimately profitability. And I didn't want to just measure it. I wanted to move the dial, if you understand my meaning. Yeah. That's a really important objective to have. I guess we're all getting into this industry because we want to make a difference. And sometimes in the companies we work in, we don't have the right structure to do that or we need a fresh approach or we need people around us which can challenge us a little bit more. So It was a terrific thing for me. Also, Vodafone was a big international brand as well and I was quite keen to try my luck abroad also, which you know, took me 10 years to do it because it was such an exciting time at Vodafone. But I got there in the end, which was also great, but learned a lot at that place also. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, having worked in Vodafone, that you are connecting through a network of MNOs where the opportunities can be somewhat endless, you know, in terms of your ability to move into different functions of an MNO, but also to different countries and cultures where more or less the same is being done, but each brings its own challenges and benefits. So I, I totally know and understand the reason why you moved there. So in Vodafone, tell us about your Vodafone story then. So Vodafone, it was an interesting beginning. I was hired by a fantastic guy called uh, Charles Mooney, an Irish guy who was a very well-respected professional, very good man, and 
when he offered me the job, I said, Charles, I'd love to take it. But before I say yes, I need to tell you that I have a three-month honeymoon scheduled because I'm getting married soon. And to his credit, Charles took me and let me go. So my first foray into Vodafone was four very hard weeks, working weekends and everything in the middle of the forecasting period that they were going through. And then I was off for actually not quite three months, but nearly three months on my honeymoon, which was fantastic. And then came back and continued on in my pricing and forecasting role at Vodafone, where, as I said before, I was sitting in the marketing team. So got to see more and more of what the marketing side or the customer facing side of the business was doing. Got very interested in that. About a year down the track, there was quite a significant reshuffle of the business, a bit of a restructure, lots of roles changing, lots of new people, um, and the new CMO started and he was interviewing each of us individually. And when it was my turn, he said, so Arthur, what do you do? And I said, I do pricing and forecasting, but really I want to do marketing, product marketing in particular. And he looked at me and said, go ahead. So I got into that and uh, it was phenomenal. It was a very dynamic company. It was the third player, but growing very quickly. And after a few years in that role where I was looking at both prepay and postpay domestic, we'd shot up to number one market share in prepay. Postpay was a bit tougher, lots of handset subsidies flying around the market, very difficult to compete. But we slowly ground out results on that side of the business as well in a way that uh, kept our noses above water. So very, very satisfying to get to that position with prepay and basically consumer revenue for prepay and postpay within a three or four year period. Wow. It was an, an exciting time. Lots of good people there, lots of very motivated people there. Worked really hard, but really a very happy bunch, very excited to be there, a real challenge of brand stuff. Then towards the end of that time at Vodafone, I'm talking like a 10 year period now, the opportunity came up in Luxembourg to work for Vodafone Group in roaming. And that was just before the merger that Vodafone went through in Australia with Hutchison. So left on a high, we had a very positive margin story and profitability story, uh, left them, went to Luxembourg. And actually, I should tell you about my final interview <laughs> for the role in Luxembourg, which wasn't with Dave Smith-White, who was the boss of the whole place, his boss, a guy called Frank Bourbon. The final interview was like midnight in Sydney. I was tired, long day. <laughs> I'd had another coffee just to be awake for this fifth interview, I think it was. And Frank gets on the screen looks at me and says, so Arthur, what do you know about roaming? And I looked at him and I said, Frank, nothing, but <laughs> I do know about marketing. And luckily for me, they were looking for somebody that wasn't a traditional roaming person who was more of a marketeer, that Dave was very keen to get somebody like that. Amanda, he'd had a few discussions with Frank and also Vittorio, who on the day of we're recording this podcast, Vittorio Kalau is also leaving Vodafone, but Vittorio had said that he wanted some fresh thinking in roaming. There was lots of pressures over at Vodafone Group, both from the European regulator, technology, changing customer habits, similar things that are still going on around the world today. 
So I went there and I think it was a pretty tough first year finding my feet, but the next few years after that were great. You might remember, Jason, we launched the um, Roam Like Home propositions, first of their kind in the world, and also the daily roaming offers, which were launched pretty much across Europe at all the operators and have since been copied all around the place. And the success of those stories, of those propositions, is around engagement with the brand penetration, so driving lots and lots of new roamers into the space and unleashing usage. People be feeling liberated to use their phone abroad. Um, and increasingly today, that is a lifeline for a lot of people who use their phone for everything, as we were saying earlier. When you're talking about Vodafone roaming services, this was an incredible project because effectively it was a new business. It was an entrepreneurial adventure, really, for Vodafone. And we were stepping into an area where we knew that we would have to bring people with us as opposed to follow a trend. We'd have to convince MNOs around the world that this, the approach of hubbing and the approach of working as a group was the way forward. And I think it's pretty clear now what we did was you know, revolutionary and, and it has led to a number of other groups doing similar stuff. It was a really exciting time really exciting to meet people like you, to meet the other people from around the world, because we hardly had anybody in that office who was Luxembourgish, right? I mean, it was all expats from other places, a really exciting project, a big group together, starting what was going to be something they'd remember for a long time. I really liked that experience too. And there was so many different functions within one office. Probably isn't even really normal for a roaming function, If I think about an average mobile network operator, they don't have the whole roaming function together in one space. Technology yeah. is separate to the marketing department, separate to finance, etc. So, yeah, that was quite an, an interesting time indeed. It certainly was. Yeah. And since then, I guess you've been watching the Vodafone progress a few years ago now, since you and I both left Vodafone, and you've been watching the progress in terms of retail roaming in that space. Indeed, I have. I've been watching them closely with interest, both in Europe and they uh, have been doing in Australia, where I think they've been quite successful in recent years. And uh, Inaki Baratea, who's originally from Spain, um, he's, he's done a good job with them. And also seeing their success in Asia as well, where they've had a reasonable degree of success, particularly in the IoT and enterprise space. So it's been very interesting for me to watch. Yeah. Since you left VRS, you went back to Vodafone Australia, you went back to the company you started with, let's say, back to Sydney, and you were there for a couple of years working on voice and data network products. That's right. So I went back to kind of roughly, roughly similar role to what I'd done before I'd left. Vodafone had had a bit of a rocky time in the intervening period, Vodafone in Australia, that had a network collapse, uh, partly as a result of the merger, although that's a very simplistic explanation. They needed to steady the ship. And there was a guy there called Bill Morrow, who was the CEO, who's currently CEO of the National Broadband Network in Australia, Australia's largest infrastructure network rollout, big job. Uh, but Bill um, needed to steady the ship post-merger of Vodafone Hutchison Australia, as it's now 
now known. Um, and I came along and helped do that in the consumer marketing space. And then after a while, it was time to just do something different, use the skills I'd learned both at Optus and at Vodafone, both in Australia and abroad, dealing with all the various interesting cultures of Europe in particular and the different dynamics of different companies and try and do something different. I did my own consultancy for a while, worked for companies like Samsung, Australia, uh, Dialogue, an A2P player, a very significant one, and a few other companies who were looking for either strategy or marketing support. I did that for, I think it was nearly three years. And then the opportunity at the Bridge Alliance crossed my screen and I thought, geez, I miss the internationalism of Vodafone Group, the dynamic nature of Telco. And I hadn't really explored Asia very much either. So I was very interested to see that maybe Bridge was the right place for me to kind of do what I'd done in Europe, learn from what they do really well here, kind of merge the two and come up with something that works for consumers and enterprises here and also for the operators that are part of the alliance, companies like Singtel, Optus, Telcom Cell, AIS, South Korea Telecom. So a lot of really great brands that are part of the alliance, uh, not to mention really huge ones like Airtel in India. So. Coming here has been very stimulating from a business perspective, but also culturally get to visit a lot of the companies in the region and understand how to work with some very widely differing business and cultural views of the world. It's been really fascinating. And underlying all of that is looking at the very significant changes that we're seeing again in telco with changes in technology changes in customer habits the explosion of data and the internet of things looking at the challenges and the opportunities that those things present for operators looking at how to deal with things like sims that are really just around the corner and yeah what does that do for consumers and enterprises What are the opportunities that are posed for traditional operators with the entry of internet brands and travel brands into the telco space? So we're really seeing some very exciting times down here and around the world. And it's great to try and understand that and leverage that for my operators in the Alliance and of course for customers at the end of the day. Yeah, so let's talk about that because the Bridge Alliance is, of course, a group of operators for those people who don't understand, um, who are facilitated or supported by a central office. I think you have your office, your headquarters in Singapore, right? That's right. Basically, you support 34 different countries, basically, and around, I think it's 800 million different subscribers to initiatives where you can work in a kind of group facility. So a little bit like what we did in Vodafone, but a little bit like other big groups, but bring together so intelligence, insights from different parts of the group to share for common good, I guess. That's the benefit of being a member of the Bridge Alliance. That's absolutely right. So lots of sharing of experiences and learning 
and collaboration on strategies, both on the retail side, but also on the wholesale side. There's obviously a lot of buying power that uh, being part of an alliance gives you on that side of things as well, which helps you come up with more aggressive, more competitive propositions. There's also a quality advantage. Again, this buying power allows you to focus on things like global roaming quality, new technologies like Volti and what to do in the IoT space. Um, Bridge is kind of, its genesis was roaming very definitely and it was a wholesale roaming relationship that grew into a very retail-focused relationship with all the key operators. And with roaming, we try to develop very compelling services for the end customer using some of those advantages that we can offer by allowing MNOs to be part of an organization or a group that has a large scale and scope to it, something that they wouldn't be able to do if they were operating individually. But Bridge is a little bit more than that these days. We now offer you know, multi-market enterprise and IoT solutions. And again, the, the cost savings and benefits that we've been able to pull together by drawing the resources of the group in appropriate ways on technology projects, for example, has really improved the results of the alliance operators in many cases and allowed them to deliver products and services to their customers that would have taken them a lot longer to do on their own. Yeah, I think it's clear that if you're an independent operator today and there's clearly there's licenses and regulations, all kinds of things to think about in terms of expanding your operation to another country. It's really a challenge to and a risk to take. I would say, especially in the Asian market, because you have next door to each other, very, very rich countries, good economic growth and other countries where maybe it's more challenging. So the markets are really very different to each other. Should you want to get advice, should you need to expand your business or to get insights from other operators? Of course, being in an alliance where you can share that information in an open space where people can talk, it's like a step beyond, let's say, what the GSMA was doing into something really much more effective, I see. I tend to agree with you. It's got much more of a commercial edge to it. The, the GSMA has many benefits, but being part of a commercial alliance as we are really can help shape the market in a positive way in a lot of countries in this region in particular. So let's dig into that a bit because your specialty, at least as I know it, is really in the retail side and in understanding you know, the market dynamics for roaming. One of the big things which we've noticed in Rocco over the years has been the focus or let's say the attention in the press in Australia on bill shop. I'm not sure if from a bridge alliance perspective if it's common among the other members. But tell us about from an Australian perspective, what's your feeling about that? Well, Bill Shock is probably, oh, well, I'll tell you a secret, but don't tell anybody else. I have Bill Shock tattooed on my arm uh, <laughs> because I think it's been around for a while and it still remains a very significant issue for customers, for in particular retail customers, consumer type customers, but also for enterprises and small businesses. 
the bad old days where you would get a $40,000 bill probably are behind us. But there are still a lot of people, as you've told me before, Jason, as most people listening to this podcast would know, there's a lot of people who choose to look for alternatives via Wi-Fi or other substitutes for roaming or just turn off data roaming uh, completely when they go abroad because they're just afraid with what they'll be confronted with when they get back home. So it's still a very, very dominant theme in roaming. It's still something that we need to do a better job in overcoming, both in terms of the value that we give people, but also the confidence that we give them to be able to turn on data roaming with their home operator and not be afraid to use the essential services that you need and want to use when you're abroad, like maps or a travel app or make a call or do a booking or just communicate with family and friends back home, maybe even with social media. People have a right to this stuff and we need to continually improve what we do to make sure that people can access it without fear. Yeah, clearly I can comment in a minute about what we're seeing in Europe, but the bill shock situation has been incredible. It's been very bad for mobile operators, essentially, because there's been, let's say, a break in the trust between operators and their subscribers to an extent where we're seeing silent roaming, we're seeing people switching off their devices and well, switching off at least data roaming and just relying on SMS. And we know that communication-wise, there's a whole array of different ways we want to communicate these days. The effectiveness of roaming is, yeah, we feel like we have to switch it off in order to, to avoid getting a big bill. These situations can be resolved, I think, with some kind of regulation. What is the status of regulation in Australia or in the Asian markets? Could you share anything on that? Yeah, it's a little fragmented here. It's not like it is uh, in Europe. There are examples of international, not quite regulation, but pressures to alleviate some of the pain that people are experiencing on the roaming side. It's a very fragmented regulatory situation. So there isn't a kind of all-encompassing EU-wide type of thing going on. The other side of things that is very significant that almost operates as self-regulation is the changes in technology, the onset of internet-based services and the explosion of data that's really causing operators to think differently about how to give people the best possible experience. So the regulator back a few years ago in Europe had a very important part to play in bringing down prices and giving people confidence to use their phone abroad. But I think technology today, certainly in this part of the world, is playing just as an important part in roaming as um, regulation back a few years ago in Europe. Yeah, it seems clear that we look to the Far East for technical innovation. And we see that, you know, of course, Korea, Japan, these are the markets where we expect 5G to be coming, where we expect there already to be super fast services and data consumption is high. Do you see other countries in the region responding to that, being up to speed like that? Or is there real, is there real extremes to the situation? No, I think definitely Korea and Japan definitely lead the way 
But there are countries dotted all over this region that have taken to the explosion of data in a very significant way. And if you think about some of the countries here where perhaps fixed line internet isn't so strong, the mobile phone really plays a very important part in how people just live their lives every day. So there are very market-leading, world-leading propositions around the place, both on the roaming side and on the domestic side, that you can see, for example, you can see that there are very significant and generous data allowances around, but you can also see the role that some of the internet brands play in proposition design in this region. You can also see things like pocket Wi-Fi taking hold and people really um, maximizing the benefits that they're getting and leveraging what they can do with data with their mobile phone at home and when they're, and when they're abroad. So I've seen some amazing things with what people want to do and can do when they're traveling with their mobile phone. And um, I think because of the innovative nature of the region here and some of the drivers, the socioeconomic drivers that you see here with fixed line not being so dominant in some parts of the region, you see a lot of innovation on the mobile side. So what would you say these days a typical retail package for roaming is like if there is one within the bridge alliance? What would you say a typical retail package would be like? Yeah, so we have a very strong focus on data with very generous allowances so that people don't have that fear of bill shock. We have data sharing. We have uh, extremely interesting propositions like Sim to Fly from AIS in Thailand that is found around the region and in China. As I said, pocket Wi-Fi, roam like home propositions are increasingly seen amongst our alliance operators. And there's some very strong forays in terms of customer segment-based offers. If you look at Korea, for example, what they call the silver offer for grey-haired folks and they have teen offers and they really try hard to appeal to what those people need in a roaming offer. So in summary, I'd say very, very strong focus on data. Now, voice is still very important for a lot of people, but increasingly that's being substituted with innovative ways of using data, not only on the voice side, but other things that you can do with mobile internet, of course. That's really interesting, this. So from a a roam-like-at-home perspective, there is actually initiatives out there in Asia for that kind of of thing. There definitely are, yeah. There are... They exist in uh, Access Malaysia and Singtel. Some of them are below the line targeting existing customers. Some are a little bit more above the line in nature. But there's also interesting things that some operators are doing that gives you a similar level of confidence that Roam Like Home does, like daily caps that we see in India with Airtel. There's some very exciting new offers that Uh, have been launched by South Korea Telecom. And I could also point to some of the offers that we see in Indonesia and Singapore, where you see ever-expanding 
footprints to a, a data allowance and so more and more countries included in your generous data allowance to make it even more relevant to customers. So I think the feeling that Roam Like Home gives you, that kind of confidence to use your phone like you do at home, is not only limited to people who use a Roam Like Home proposition, but it's also people who have an appropriate or generous enough data-oriented home offer that allows them to use their phone just like they do at home. Yeah, it certainly seems that in Europe, this has been an incredible step that has been taken, obviously, last year. And of course, you know, there's talk of 300% increase usage of roaming because of the regulation. And we're right now studying this uh, phenomenon in our research, but it's clear more and more people are using roaming to the point that if I go to another country in Europe, which is part of the EU, of course, I have a good degree of confidence that my package includes that. And I don't even need to think about looking for Wi-Fi anymore. I'm going to be using Wi-Fi less and less. Of course, the whole security concerns which are being raised about my data, about privacy, about security in general of my device are, of course, concerns when it comes to Wi-Fi. But overall, I think people are choosing GSM services now because they are cheap and because they're affordable and they're less likely to have surprises when it comes to the bill. So it's a very positive story, I think, from Europe, the, the regulation. So I can imagine for those entities, sounds like a lot of different diverse solutions that you that are going around in Asia right now. And it seems to me that Rome Like at Home could end up being a global phenomenon at some point. I think that's definitely the end state, definitely. There is a lot of best practice sharing that we do here at our various roaming forums where we share the experiences of fellow operators that might be relevant to an operator in a different market. But I do tend to agree with you that I think uh, Rome Like at Home is probably the end game around the world. You just mentioned your forums, the bridge lines, of course, you have meetings with your members. Do you ever expand that to have forums where so prospective members could attend or, or get to know what you're doing? Yes. So we have various forums, both on the roaming side and the enterprise IoT side. We have different categories of memberships. As you said, we've got 34 member operators, but we have lots of conversations with um, people that are interested in joining the group and partaking some of the benefits that being part of this alliance offers. We also have our annual CXO forum, which focuses on very significant topics of, of the day. And that's happening around the middle of the year, where a lot of operators and vendors come along, participate in some of the multi-track discussions. Obviously, a great networking opportunity for people to do more business together, but it's also a great way to share your understanding of the latest and greatest in roaming or IoT or enterprise, and also to learn from others who are leading in that space. And we have some significant players from around the globe that, that come to Singapore for that forum. Yeah, it seems to me from research we did a few years ago that the alliances are something a lot of MNOs like, and they have a lot of respect for and see value in. 
it's something which I was thinking, should members, should operators from different parts of the world who are not necessarily in Asia or in your region specifically, could they also join the Bridge Alliance or is it open globally or... Well, we kind of take it on a case-by-case basis. It depends, you know, we need to make sure that we're able to give the sorts of value that people are after and also that they can contribute to, to this alliance as well, depending on what the needs are of the particular operator. Yes, we are open to new members, new alliances, if I could use that word, with operators around the world. We do stretch very far and wide. So we're not just in Southeast Asia, we stretch right across to the Middle East and Africa. We also do a lot of business, obviously, on the wholesale roaming side and on the technology side with some of the platforms that we either build or host or collaborate with. So there's different levels of collaboration that we undertake with various players around the world. We're definitely very open to new relationships. Yeah, okay. That's very interesting to hear. I think a lot of MNOs who listen to these podcasts might be interested to to get to know more about it. In terms of IoT as well, you also have, you extend your IoT services also to enterprises. Isn't that right? Yes, that's right. So it's a very new space for us, but it's growing very, very rapidly. And we're starting to see some successes in that space. And we're hoping that that part of our our business, when I'm talking the Bridge Alliance specifically, grows to be an even more significant part of the business than roaming is. Clearly, with the growth of Internet of Things and the diversification of Internet of Things, you know, into industrial IoT, into MIoT and the NBIoT and all the other variations, you know, this is clearly something that is now no longer just end to M. It's like something really that has expanded out to a lot of companies who can, you know, utilize these situations. One thing I noticed is around eSIM. Yes. Yeah, eSIM, of course, is something which is used in many situations for Internet of Things these days. Is it something that you guys are behind? Is it the MNOs in your group are following? So we're definitely following developments closely. There, uh, it's inevitable that eSIM will be a part of what we all do. So the only variable there is time. So when will it happen? Aside from the many benefits that eSIM gives you a part of your daily working life, for example, embedded into your laptop or what happens when eSIM becomes an integral part of your mobile phone or or watch. That presents many opportunities for us to unlock those silent roamers that we were talking about before and really get them to, you know, not be afraid to use their whatever device it is as they do at home, being able to choose from attractive offers that are relevant to them that we, or dare I say it, even our competitors might be able to offer. My philosophy is more competition is good. It leads to dynamism and more innovative solutions for people. And I think eSIM will only encourage that. Brilliant. I think I finished on all of my questions, Arthur. If there's anything 
you want to specifically mention or talk about? Firstly, thank you, Jason. I really enjoyed the chat. If anybody's got any questions, I'm very, very happy to field them, both in terms of what we do on the roaming side or uh, Enterprise IoT or the Alliance more generally. Uh, very happy to talk to anybody about business uh, opportunities or just generally what's happening in this part of the world and in our market more broadly. Um, really open to do that with people. Brilliant. I think uh, Vigilant has been always an exciting company to watch and certainly your increase in members and the continued growth and diversification of what you do is inspiring to a lot of operators. So thank you so much for your time, Arthur, and hope to speak to you again very soon or see you at an event in the near future. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Look out for more in the WellConnected series in the coming weeks. Currently, Rocco is working on a new research project with operators on A2P SMS vendor performance, where in our fourth annual research project, we look at identifying the best vendors of A2P to 30 plus KPIs. Only MNOs can take part and the results are delivered in June this year. Every MNO who takes part will receive an exclusive free executive summary report containing the aggregated data of all the MNOs. Until next time, this is Jason Bryan and you've been listening to Well Connected from Rocker Radio.